0: not so much about what's in our lost and found bin, though there are a few things that have built up in there. So if you're missing something, that might be a good place to check. <laughs> the major culprits aren't here today. You know who you are. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we're gonna talk a little bit about lost and found. And so I don't always have strange stories, but sometimes they happen two weeks in a row. Uh, and I don't always look for these things. Sometimes they just happen, okay. But, so, in our, in our dining room at home, we have, a, we have some kind of little shelving. And I don't know how long it's been. Um, it's at least since Thanksgiving, but it was before that, really. I think it's been a couple of years that this one shelf hasn't had all four little pegs holding it in place. It's had, you know, one one little uh, peg missing. So I always had this one bowl sit set on the on the shelf in the spot where it was secure and everything like that. But it's been a long time. I, I think it's been years. I'm not sure though. And on the second shelf, I've got our our uh, Sabbath table book, you know, for reading all the blessings. I've got our Kiddush cup. I keep our our Havdalah candle, and there's several other things there on this thing so I'm, I access this second shelf multiple times or a couple times a week every week and last night as we're getting ready to sit down to our Shabbat meal I go and I, I pick up the, the Sabbath table book and I pick up our cottage K- cup and there's this little thing sitting on the middle of the shelf right on the middle of it and I pick it up I'm like huh I guess that's a little Lego peg and I sit it back down as I'm sitting it down I'm like wait that's metal that's not Legos and I look at it I'm like This is the peg. And I look under there. It's the same peg as the other three. So I put it in, and now the shelf is back. (laughs) I don't know where it came from. There's no way. It was sitting right in the middle. Anyway, and it was just there. So I thought that was odd. And then uh, later on, we're getting the kids ready for bed, and they're like, hey, Chris, did you know that David's uh, pump and his fish tank just started working again? It's yeah, this week it started working again. It had been broken for a while. Long time. Yeah, yeah, several months. It had just been broken, but it's been plugged in, apparently. And uh, it just started working this week. So I, I prayed and I just asked the Lord, well, okay, so one thing with this, okay guys. So again, God speaks in the mundane as well as in the magnificent, right? Last week he taught, you know, he showed me something with soap. This week, there's this little peg and David's pump, right? These aren't like these magnificent things, but God still speaks in the mundane. So I asked him, I said, well, Lord, are you trying to say something with this? And what I heard was, I'm making all things new. Okay? Making all things new. And so I was like, how does that work? It's like, well, there's this restoration of the the pump. There's the bookshelf being back whole, right? And so I started thinking about Revelation 21, 1 through 7, because that's where the Lord says, I'm making all things new. So Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7 say, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven, heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Hmm. So I love the story, right? This is, this is the end restoration, right? This is the restoration of all things. Now, this isn't complete until after the millennial reign after the thousand-year reign of Yeshua, when this, this takes place. But even now, even today, God is in the process of restoring all things. Now, it's going to be amplified when Yeshua comes. But even today, he's in the process of restoring all things. And the story of Joseph that we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks is a story of restoration. Right? It's a story of seeking that which is lost. And it's got multiple layers of this concept, right? Joseph was lost to his brothers. But then also his brothers were lost to Joseph, right? They both they both suffered a loss and they both, well, they were brought back together, right? Even though they were separated, it was God's intention to bring them back together. Okay, so... The story of Joseph, as we've talked about over the past couple weeks, is a picture also of Yeshua and his life. First Fruits of Zion says it uh, one way, where they say uh, the story of Joseph is a picture of what God, or what it looks like when God sends a Savior. Okay? It's what it looks like when God sends a Savior. And so, of course, we're going to see a lot of images and parallels with Yeshua in the life and in the story of Joseph. So we're going um, to take a look at a high level of the story of Joseph and touch on the parts all the way from when he was a child until he, uh, he was restored with his brothers. So we're going to pull from each of the portions from the last three weeks in today's message. Now... We know that Yeshua, when he was sent, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he was sent to the lost sheep of the children of Israel. And during his ministry, right before he came, uh, right before he was offered up, as he came through Jericho, he came to a person named Zacchaeus, right? And Zacchaeus was a tax collector, We're not going to go through the whole story of it, but after Yeshua had come to his house and Zacchaeus said that he was going to make things right where he had done wrong, if he had done wrong, in Luke 19, verse 9 through 10, Yeshua says to him, today salvation has come to this house because he, speaking of Zacchaeus too, is a son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And in Matthew 15, 24, when he was speaking to a woman asking for prayer, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But his intent was to come and to bring restoration. In Ezekiel 34, I want to read a few verses of what God says with regard to his plan to seek and to save that which is lost. So in Ezekiel 34, the message is a rebuke to the leaders of Israel who have not taken care of the sheep, who have really sought their own needs and desires and have, uh, they've, they've, not, they've not cared for their flock. And here's the message. Ezekiel 34, verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep, and I will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture, and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel." There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. And then picking up in verse 24, scripture says, My servant David will be king over them. And they will all have one shepherd, and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them. They will live on the land that I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived, and they will live on it, they and their sons and their sons' sons, forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. So God was determined that he was going to bring back his children from the ends of the earth and to establish them in their land as he promised but to do that, he had to have a shepherd who was sent with his heart, who would prepare the way, who would do all that was needed and would have compassion on his people. So with the, with the story of Joseph, at a high level, here, I'll share just a couple of things. At a high level, The life of Joseph was early on. He was the favored son. He was sent to check on the well-being of his brothers. He was despised by his brothers, and they threw him into a pit. And he was sold for 20 pieces of silver. But out of his bondage, out of the pit, he was raised up to be the viceroy over all of Egypt. And he reigned without his brother's knowledge until the time when, after he had tested and seen the repentance of his brothers, he revealed himself to them. And then after revealing himself to his brothers, his father came to be with him. All right. Within that story, we have so many parallels with Yeshua. So, again, at a high level, there, in the beginning, Yeshua was with God. He was the Word of God, and He was the firstborn Son of God who was favored and beloved. He was sent to Israel to seek out the lost sheep, but He was not accepted by the leadership. And He was sold for 30 pieces of silver, and He was crucified. But then he was raised and God set him above the entire earth and all things are being placed under his feet and the day is coming when he will reveal himself to his brothers and they will be reconciled and the Father will come and the restoration will be complete and in that day the Lord will be one and his name will be one right so it's incredible god's plan of restoration and the way that he brings about salvation he's got his patterns and they're rich so we're going to we're going to go through in a little going to go back through those things in a little bit more detail Okay, so let's turn to Genesis 37, verses 3 through 8. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. he said to them, please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brother said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Hmm. So one of the things to note in this passage is that even even before the dreams, just because he was the favored son, they despised him, and they couldn't speak peaceably with him. They couldn't speak peaceably with him. And so they devised a plan. We'll get to that one in a moment. But before that, before they devised their plan, right, because it's not until Joseph comes to his brothers that they come up with their plan to, to do away with him. But before Joseph comes to his brothers, he has to be sent. So in Genesis 37, verse 12 to 14. Now, one thing to note too. So Joseph is a shepherd. That's what the scripture said at the beginning of chapter 37. He's a shepherd, but he wasn't with his brothers at this time. Okay? In 37, verse 12. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem, Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pastoring the flock in Shechem? Come and I will send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. And then he said to him, go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron or from the depths of Hebron is another um, translation. And he came to Shechem. Now, why do I note that? Okay, Hebron is not a valley. Hebron is on a mountain. (laughs) So it can't possibly be that he sent him from the valley of Hebron. It's he sent him from the depths of Hebron. Okay, so that's an interesting thing even to say. Why Why did he send him from the depths? So this is understood to be referring to the action that would begin the fulfillment of God's prophecy to Abraham regarding exile. Okay, because there at Hebron is where Abraham was buried, and according to uh, the Zohar, the mystical writings, that Jacob actually took Joseph to Hebron and sent him from there to go find the brothers, okay? And tied into this whole thing is this idea of, okay, well, he's sending him to Shechem. Well, if you recall, Shechem was a place where Levi and Simeon had struck down all the people of that town, right? So this wasn't necessarily a safe place to go, right? And Jacob surely knew that his brothers were not happy with Joseph. Joseph surely knew that as well. And so this could certainly be seen as a dangerous mission that both Jacob and Joseph knew was dangerous to the life of Joseph. But yet Jacob cared about his sons, and about the flock that he was taking care of. And he cared to send Joseph to go check on their well-being. And Joseph's response was, here I am, saying, I'm willing. I'm willing to go and check on them. Now, the the sages comment on this, too, that if Jacob knew this was a, a dangerous mission to be sending Joseph on, then why would he send his favorite son to go on that mission? Why wouldn't he send another servant to go and to do it? But Instead, Jacob put his, his son, his favorite son, who had the birthright, right, to go and check on them. So within the, with the commentary of the sages, they say that since they sent him, that was proof that God was acting to carry out his promises to Abraham. So if we read in Luke 20, verses 9 through 16, this is an interesting parallel with a a parable that Yeshua told. He says, he began, or the scripture says, he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed, and he proceeded to send another slave, and they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send a third, and this one also they wounded and cast out. The owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, This is the heir. Let us kill him so so that the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. When they heard it, they said, may it never be. Because Yeshua was really telling the, the leaders of that time that they were the ones who had mistreated and rejected all the prophets and that they would be the ones who would be destroyed and thrown out, which, of course, even parallels back to what we read earlier in Ezekiel 34. But the idea that God was willing to do whatever it took, even sending His only begotten beloved son to seek out the well-being of his flock just as Jacob sent Joseph to do the same. Okay, so on, on Joseph's way he encounters a person in the field. Okay, so in Genesis 37, 15 a man found him and behold he was wandering in the field and the man asked him what are you looking for? And he said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. Then the man said, they have moved from here. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Okay, so according to one of the Targums, the Targum Jonathan, okay, that this man that was found or that found Joseph wandering in the field was Gabriel okay, that God had sent to help Joseph find his brothers, okay, because when he came to check him and did not find them, he didn't know where to go, but he kept looking, and so now Gabriel finds him, or the man finds him in the field and says, your brothers have gone on to Dothan, and within this, there's a Midrash that Speaks on why did he say they've got your brothers have moved on and they've gone to Dothan. And the Midrash says, You asked about your brothers, but they have gone away from feelings of brotherhood. Instead, they have gone to Dothan, which is from the word dot or law, i.e., they are seeking legal grounds to put you to death. That's interesting, right? Because when we look at what Took place with Yeshua. The Pharisee, or yeah, the, the, the chief priests and the, uh, the Sadducees and Pharisees, they were seeking to put Yeshua to law and they were seeking to put Yeshua to death and they were seeking legal grounds to do it. Okay? Because they had moved away from feelings of brotherhood toward him. Instead, they saw him as a threat to their power, to their identity, and their place. So they were looking for legal grounds to put him to death. But Joseph still continued on despite that and went and found his brothers there at that place so that he could fulfill the mission that he was sent on and fulfill his father's will. Again, the story of Yeshua. He knew what was coming. He knew that he was going to be killed, but yet he still went willingly and did, did his father's will. He said... He essentially said, Hinani, here I am. Okay, so continuing on with the story in Genesis 37, verse 23. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Okay, so Joseph had this very colored tunic, it was stripped of him and he was thrown in the pit where there was no water. Okay. Now we know the story that his brothers intended to kill him but Reuben interceded and said, let's not kill him, let's throw him in the pit. So they throw him into the pit and then Judah comes up with the idea of let's sell him, right? So they did. They ended up selling him for 20 pieces of silver. Now when we think about this picture of being thrown in the pit and stripped of his tunic, we clearly have pictures of what took place with Yeshua in his time. If we look at, okay, so within Yeshua's story, the, the chief priests turned him over to Pilate, right, where he was flogged, and then he was set to be crucified, and they took his garment. They took his garment from him, and they, they cast lots for it. Right, and there on the cross Yeshua said, I thirst. Right. Now, Psalm twenty-two is a Messianic Psalm. Right? If we read through it, you can see many parallels of what was taking place with Yeshua. So if we take a look at Psalm twenty-two, verses eleven through eighteen, we also have a parallel here with Joseph in the pit, and we have a parallel of Yeshua on the cross. Actually, I guess I have fourteen through eighteen. He says, "I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, surrounded me, a band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet, and I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, they cast lots. So within this, his tongue is cleaving to his jaws. His clothes are divided by lots. And so we have that same picture. That same picture of of Yeshua being sent into a pit, into the the grave. But then we know that that's not the end of the story. We know that Joseph's fortune, or his... uh, his path changes. He does not remain in the pit. You know, he's sold, goes into Egypt, does well for a short time until he is sent back to prison. And then Pharaoh raises him up and sets him over all the land of Egypt. And in Genesis 41, verse 38, after, after Joseph is given the interpretation... Of Pharaoh's dreams, Pharaoh says to his servants, "Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit?" So Pharaoh said to Joseph, "Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater than you." Pharaoh said to Joseph, "See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt." Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put the gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in his second chariot, and they proclaimed before him, Bow the knee, and he set him over all the land of Egypt. All right, so within this, Joseph has now been placed in a position of power in a land that was not his own he does not resemble his people right because now he's put in the context of Egypt and their practices and their and their kingdom but within but at his core joseph remains faithful to god and remains a brother of and a child of israel now within this we have pictures of course of yeshua who though he had died, he was raised on the third day. The resurrection being evidence of him being God's chosen Messiah and the, the son of David who would be placed over his children and over all the world. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 through 28, the scripture says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep, for since by a man came death, and by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in, all, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and after that those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. That's a lot of subjection and uh, so forth. But if you followed the path, you there very carefully, you would see that God exalted Yeshua to be the name that is above every name, that every knee would bow to. but God placed him in authority over all things without subjecting himself to Yeshua. So God, the Father remains over all. right? But then all things are being put into subjection under Yeshua's feet, which is part of what we talked about earlier, with the restoration is taking place right now, right? It will accelerate when Yeshua returns and it will be complete sometime in the millennial reign and then the Father will come. Yeah. So it's, it's exciting to think about the restoration that's taking place and the path that we're on with, within the whole realm here, right? Because if you think about where we are in today's age, we're at the time that would parallel Joseph reigning in Egypt and, he, and he's interacting with his brothers and he's testing their hearts and he's preparing to reveal himself to them, right? And that revealing is there with the coming of Yeshua, right? So we're on the precipice here of coming into the time when Yeshua reveals himself to his brothers. And we run into this acceleration of restoration of all things. And so within the story, Joseph was raised up and put into this place about the age of 30, okay, which is approximately the time when Yeshua took on his ministry. And so after Yeshua was raised from the grave, he began to appear to his disciples. So let's turn to Luke 24. We'll pick back up, you know, last week we talked about the road to Emmaus. We'll pick back up with some of that story here this this morning. So the resurrection testified that Yeshua is the Messiah, but now at this point in the story, Yeshua is beginning to appear. This is actually on the day that Yeshua rose. The scripture says, uh, I guess, the two people who met Yeshua on the road to Emmaus have come back to Jerusalem they're going into the apostles, or the disciples at this point, and they're saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it, because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the Torah of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And that that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. All right, so within his appearing the disciples don't know what to think, right? I mean, they've, they've heard from Mary that he's raised, and now they've heard from these two other two disciples that he is raised. But when they, he shows up in their midst, they're still having a hard time grasping this. And Yeshua says, no, it's, it, it really is me. Look. Look at my hands and my feet and come and touch. Now, this story that happens with Yeshua is strikingly similar to when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Okay, so in Genesis 45, one through 15, we'll read that account. Okay, so where we come to in the story right here, Judah has been bargaining for Benjamin's life, okay? Because Joseph was planning to take Benjamin, make him a slave, but Judah comes and makes a passionate plea with Joseph to say, no, let me be in my brother's place because my father loves Benjamin and his heart is tied up with him. And I've made a promise that I would bring Benjamin back safely, so take me in his place. So Judah, Judah showed incredible love for his father and selflessness, and being willing to offer himself up for his younger brother, who was the favored, right? Whereas before, at the pit, he wasn't willing to offer up himself for his brother, for the favored brother. Instead, he said, let's sell him. Now he's come to the point of saying, no, I will give myself for him. He's a, he's, he's a changed man, right? And that... Willingness to lay his, himself down for his brother and for his father moves Joseph. And, and the question is, did, did he actually hasten the revelation? Right? Was Joseph going to reveal himself at that moment? Or did Judah's repentance and his heart and his love and the way he laid himself down hasten the revelation. That's a question for us as we go about with our lives. And what does our faithfulness do to turn the heart of God or to move God to act, to bring the Messiah back? Okay, so in the scriptures in Genesis 45, verse 1, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer and he said, I'm your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth, and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will also provide for you, for there are still five years of famine to come, and you and your household and all that you have would be impoverished. Behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. He kissed all his brothers and wept on them, and afterwards his brothers talked with him. Okay. So he says, I'm Joseph, but they couldn't believe it, right? Right? Even though he was standing there speaking to him, he's like, "You see, it's my lips, my tongue that is speaking to you. Come close to me and see." This is right back to what Yeshua was doing. He said, "No, really, it's me. Peace be with you. Come, look. Come closer. It really is me." So now, he has the revelation. The revelation has been given. What was lost has been found. Right? For the disciples. Their hope that the Messiah had come was lost, but now it was restored. For the brothers, they believed their, the brothers of Joseph believed that he was dead. Now, it's possible they still had a hope that he was alive, right? Because according to tradition, they were searching for him when they came to Egypt, okay? But in Genesis 44, 20, when Judah is telling, we're recounting the story to Joseph, he says, and, and one of our brothers is dead. So it's like, well, dead or lost or gone, but now that brother has been found. Now what's striking here, and I always found this verse a little out of place or a little funny, right? When the the scripture says that he revealed himself to them and everything's all excited, and it says, and afterwards his brothers talked with him. It just kind of seems weird, right? Did, did the Scripture need to say, and afterwards his brothers talked with him? And the interesting thing about it is that if you go back to the beginning of the story, when his brothers hated him, and it said they couldn't speak with him peaceably, and now you've had reconciliation, you've had restoration, you've had <laughs> repentance, you've had all that coming together, and now they're back together And they talk with him. (sighs) Brotherhood was restored. That's pretty cool. So the, the seemingly out of place or like superfluous sentence actually had, of course, imbued within it all kinds of meaning. Because God does not waste any words in his Torah. So now Joseph's reunited with his brothers. This is exciting. This is something we look forward to when Yeshua is fully revealed to his brothers and the leaders of Israel say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and Yeshua is crowned as king. But then that's, the story's not done when that happens. right? There's still more to come. So within, within the story of Joseph, there's more to come and within the story of Yeshua, there's more to come. So let's go and take a look in Genesis 46, verse 26 through 30. So the brothers go back and they come to Jacob to tell him that Joseph still lives. And at first, Jacob didn't believe it either. It took some convincing for Jacob to say, okay, my son is alive, let's go. That's what about about. What's that? You're right, yeah. How do we tell dad? you know <laughs> that's right so they tell him and so, but, so then he ends up believing and, and he says okay let's go right so the scripture goes through and it lists all of the people all of Jacob's household who descend with him down into Egypt and in Genesis 46 verse 26 the scripture says all the persons belonging to Jacob who came to Egypt his direct descendants not including the wives of Jacob's sons were 66 persons in all And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came to Egypt were seventy. Now he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face, that you are still alive. So we have a reconciliation where Joseph's father comes to be with him. And he came with his entire family, all 70, right? And what does the number 70 represent? The number 70 represents all the nations of the world, right? So all the nations coming under, well, coming under Joseph. All the nations coming under Yeshua. So what was lost to Jacob was restored to him after Joseph was reunited with his brothers. And the restoration there was complete. Now, a couple of things to note in that passage. Scripture said that Judah was sent ahead to, to prepare for his father's arrival. Right So you have both Joseph ahead of him and Judah ahead of him to prepare for his coming. And so Joseph, of course, is a picture of the suffering Messiah. And he's actually a picture of the reigning Messiah as well, right? But you have the Messiah Ben Joseph, and you have the Messiah Ben David. The Messiah Ben David is of the tribe of Judah, and so Judah is sent ahead to prepare for his father's arrival. Now, speaking of things that are lost and restored, you know, this restoration for Jacob was a long time coming, right? Because Joseph had been sold at the age of 17, and now it was at the age of 39, 22 years later, that Jacob was again getting to see his son. And if you think back to early in Joseph's life, when he was having his dreams and he was telling his brother's, and earning more of their distaste for him, he also told a dream to his dad about the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to him, and that didn't go so well either. You know, um, man, he should have just kept his crazy stories to himself, right? You know, maybe I could learn from that. But uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but, um, but you know, one thing that's interesting that struck me on this is. When, 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 when Jacob responded to him, he says, are I and your mother and your brothers going to bow down to you to the ground? And so in Genesis thirty-seven eleven, it says, so his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. But his father kept the matter in mind and said, there's something to the dreams of my son and what his future holds. But then he saw his dream shattered when they brought back the bloody tunic, right? And he said, my son is gone. This is similar to what happened with, with Miriam, Yeshua's mother, right? Because in Luke chapter 2, in verse 19, the scripture said, Mary treasured all these things, pondering in them in her heart. And that was in response to the, ma- or the shepherds coming and announcing, hey, look, this is what the angel said to us. Right? So she's she's pondering these things and treasuring them in her heart. And then again, after he had spent time, after Yeshua had spent time getting lost in the temple, again she treasured all these things in her heart. So she knew from his early age that he was destined for this greatness, and she treasured these things in her heart. And if you look at the Greek word that was used for this treasured in his heart in her heart, the the root of the Greek word is the same as the Greek word used in the Septuagint to speak of Jacob treasuring these things in his heart. So there's a parallel even there. But both Jacob and Mary knew greatness was destined to their child, but they saw that dashed. But their hopes were restored at the resurrection and at this reunion, when which really for Joseph it was a type of resurrection. Right. He was believed to be dead, but he lived. And then the, then the reconciliation, the, the restoration, the reunification took place. And so within all of this, again, it's God revealing his plan from the very beginning of how he's going to do it and then worked out through Yeshua. And we still, from today, look forward to a completion of this restoration individually in our lives and as a whole for the body of believers and for the children of Israel to come and to know their Messiah. And our Haftarah portion today is very fitting, so we're going to read from Ezekiel 37 as well. Ezekiel 37, verses 15 through 28 the word of the Lord came again to me, saying, And you, son of man, take for yourself one stick and ride on it for Judah and for the sons of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and ride on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel, his companions. Then join them for yourself one to another in, into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. When the sons of your people speak to you, saying, Will you not declare to us what you mean by these? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will put them with it, with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand. The sticks on which you write, The sticks on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes. Say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king will be king for all of them, and they will no longer be two nations and no longer be divided into two kingdoms. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols or with their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd, and they will walk in my ordinances, and keep my statutes, and observe them. They will live on the land that I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived, and they will live on it, they and their sons, and their sons' sons forever, and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. And I will make a covenant of peace with them, it will be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be with them, and I will be their God and they will be my people. And the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. So within the restoration that God is bringing to his children, all the world will know that he is the one true God. All the world will know that he is the one true God and and his servant David will be ruler over all of them. And here in the story of Joseph, you have the tribe of Ephraim and Judah coming together, reunified, which opens the door for all the earth to come in under one king. So, Uh, The stories and the parallels are incredible. The restoration that we're headed towards is incredible. And the one that is actually already taking place, even in it now. We just give glory to God. That we would be found in Him. that That we would be agents of reconciliation. That we would give freely of ourselves and seeking out what is God's will, what is his desire that we would go to do, such that we can partake and really be a part of that restoration. And that's really where we are as a congregation, as a body. We stand as agents of reconciliation to bring the body of believers in the church, in Christianity, together with the body Of the children of Israel to bring two into one because right now there's a separation between brothers in some cases there's animosity and misunderstanding in some cases we can't speak peaceably with one another but we look forward to the day when this reconciliation takes place when the two see that they really are brothers and can walk together talk together. Amen. Under one Messiah, under one King, Yeshua, our Messiah. All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We exalt you. We praise you and thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you have shown us what it looks like when you send a Savior. We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to uphold your promises. And that it is your desire to seek and to save that which is lost to bring restoration, to bring reconciliation. Lord, we cry out for restoration and reconciliation in our lives, in our relationships with one another, in our relationship with you, Lord. I pray that you would give us revelation of how to draw close to you. Show us who you are and show us how to love our neighbor as ourselves, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be agents of reconciliation. We give you glory and thanks and praise in the name of Yeshua, amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.